Hey there, we're the Westlaw Pirates and welcome to the show. We're here to share our thoughts on Northwestern athletics and college sports with thoughts and analysis from the visceral to the statistical. We run our tailgate with the red pirate flag flying high above as we give no quarter, especially the fourth. I'm Sam Walter. I'm John Lacombe. And I'm Eric Skuz, seven seed Scousebo. There you go, baby. Uh, we're yeah, going buddy. dancing. Um, I mean, we we knew this. We knew it was happening. Like it wasn't a big surprise. Uh, but still, like for the second time ever, Northwestern makes the NCAA tournament. I mean, this team has just been special all year, and you know, even after a, a, another disappointing loss to Penn State. You know, in overtime. Um, God, I, if I never see Jalen Pickett again, that'll be too soon. Um, you know, I, I, maybe the the Vikings want to draft him in the third round. I don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I mean, still though, you're right. I mean, it was phenomenal. Obviously, we weren't able to get to Welsh Rhine for the gathering on Sunday, but it looked just great and awesome atmosphere. A great turnout. The team was so stoked to watch them and everything. And I know Collins got up and spoke. And I I know um, Brian McIntosh and Nate Taphorn got up and spoke too at about like, you know, drawing parallels from their experience being the first team ever to this being the second team ever. And just an awesome environment and, and so earned. And yeah, now now west we, west we go. It's funny because as longtime fans and, and uh, you know, and, and a lot of the folks we associate and are friends with and connect with both, you know, through social media and real life are also longtime fans. And we've talked a bit about like, oh, it's the second time that they've made it. It's a big deal, but it's the second time, right? Like like sixteen seventeen had had an, an incredible flavor as well because it was the first time. But I think something that that. I don't think I appreciated until I was watching the team's reaction to their name being called. None of the guys on this team were part of that 2016, 2017 team. Right. And how special it is for Audige and Bowie and Baron and Nicholson and, and Barry. Um, and of course, you know, the freshman Barnizer and, and, and Verhoeven and, and, and everybody else who's involved, like, 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 but it, like, for a, for a college basketball player, this this is what you dream of, and, yeah. And like that's so cool that um that they get to do it, and and that it was so unexpected. No, nobody in their right mind thought this was possible. Right uh, at the beginning of the season, absolutely not. And I I think specifically too about Bowie and Barron, and you talk about like not being here, right? And those guys, those are two guys who were in high school. I'm sure being recruited, right? Yep. When the first trip went down. And to your point, they came to Northwestern with this goal in mind. And and honestly, I think a lot of the start of their college career didn't work out the way that they wanted it to. And they honestly picked that up from the ashes and got this team back there again. And right, to see them be able to celebrate it. And uh and right, and we're a seven seed. And we're a seven seed. There is all the chance and all the opportunity in the world to make this second tourney trip uh, a really meaningful one. And I'm stoked that we get to talk about it tonight. Yeah, we got uh, heading out to Sacramento uh, to take on Boise State. Um, you know, we'll, you know, talk about Boise State and uh, the rest of the tournament. Um, it wouldn't be NCAA tournament season without our resident bracketologist, Scott Sepich, coming on with us. Uh, to talk about the tournament. And, you know, this year, like we did way back in uh, 2017, we got a little something extra to talk about. So uh, 
without any further ado, uh, let's talk to Scott. Well, it is a tradition unlike any other, um, you know, as we welcome in our resident bracketologist, Scott Sapich, uh, back yet again. Um, this time, it's again, for the second time, uh, we've got something a little bit more personal to talk about uh, as Northwestern makes the tournament um, for the second time ever and heads out kind of to your neck of the woods there, Scott, uh, out in Sacramento. I know you're just uh, up the up the road a little bit up in Portland. So, um, yeah, good times. Thanks for coming on with us again. Yeah, it's always awesome to be on every year. And uh, I'll always say I appreciate you guys still still let me come on here. I'm just some, some random dude you guys do in college, but it's, uh, and I love basketball. And so it's, it's fun to come talk to you guys. And, um, yeah, so yeah, I'm up in Portland and, um, I know Sacramento is probably like the least convenient probably for most NU fans, but it's the most convenient for me. So I'll be there on Thursday. Um, I can't stay through the weekend if, you know, if we win on Thursday, but I'll at least be there for the first game. Shooting 20% in the Westlop Pirates Scott Sepich uh, NCAA tournament preview is Northwestern men's basketball with their second tournament in 10 years. <laughs> it, yeah. It's pretty it's amazing. 0% in all prior eras. Yeah, so we did see <laughs> that last 10 years, 20% doesn't seem quite so bad, but then when you go to the previous 70, it doesn't Yeah. <laughs> right. That's what I'm saying. I mean, like what Scott's saying, like, we're not saying you coming on this pod's responsible for both of NU's tourney births, but we're not <laughs> not saying it either. Uh, yeah, the, I mean. it's funny though. It's I. It really is. Sam said it's a tradition unlike any other. It's our oldest tradition um, on on the pod, and I feel like every year it's like uh, it's like when cousin Sal tells the Gary Russell story on the Super Bowl props <laughs> pod with Bill Simmons every year. It's like I feel like every year. Our, audience gets bigger and every year we get to be like this was almost one of it had to be one of the what the five or ten first pods that we did i mean we're this this is our our oldest tradition but it is it's it's funny you're a you're a pacific northwest guy but in addition to being accessible for for you to get to the game in sacramento our bracket has a pretty Northwest flavor. I, actually, John, Start. John, hang, hang on one sec real quick. Um, I just got a call. Brian Harson is on line three. Um, he, we're going to interview him for the next oh. hour. And Scott, we'll come back to you in just a sec. Oh, okay. perfect. All right, cool. Yeah. You know, whatever. <laughs> however, however long you need. One of the top coaches in the country for many years. Brian was a young man when he started his coaching career at Boise State. He grew up around Boise, played at Boise. Arkansas State as his first head coaching job. Then just one year later, took over his Broncos program, did a terrific job for many years, had chances, I'm sure, to take other jobs. Auburn is the one. And just uh, a week ago, named the head coach of the Auburn Tigers, Dave Flemming. Rod Gilmore, just around the corner over there. Ryan Harson uh, joins us. However long you need, <laughs> yeah. Oh my God. I, yeah, exactly. Sorry, sorry we had to bump you, but Harson's just too important. <laughs> but I mean, it's seriously. I mean, it's it's pretty wild because the. I mean, we were all trying to collectively remember. We we're like in 2017. What did we talk about? Like, what what was the discussion? I mean, obviously it was very different from every other time we've done this but in this time particularly i mean like i feel like year to year 
I mean, so often we're going to you because like you tend to know Gonzaga as well as anybody does. But in this case, it's like you've got Gonzaga theoretically way down the pipe, not to put the car before the horse. You've got a team from Idaho right off the bat. You've got a Pac-12 team potentially looming in the second round. I mean, how does it feel kind of for you like all the your universe is aligning itself here? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of funny. I I um I actually really like Boise State. So, it's I mean, obviously not this week, but like I usually I kind of root for them a little bit just cuz I think they're um um you know, they're a team that's been to the tournament. I think this is their ninth time in the tournament and they've never won a game in the tournament. Um I actually cover them. I do freelance sports writing so i actually covered their game they were in portland last year for the first round they covered their game against memphis and uh they just shot like terribly in that game i, I don't know what they i think they made around 30 percent and um just were never really in that game against memphis so uh, they definitely are a team that's defense first and if they make shots, it's a bit of a bonus. Although they are, I think, I think they're a better shooting team than they were last year, but I don't think they're as good of an overall team as they were last year. So, um, but this they're, one could be like 55, 52 for sure. Like they're, they're, they're better shooting than the Wisconsin Badgers, but I can't help looking at their kind of statistical profile and just f- feeling like they, they remind me of Wisconsin more than any other big 10 team. Part of that is they have, They've extremely balanced scoring. So their top five guys are all in double digits and like nobody else matters. Um, but their number one, uh, Tyson Degenhardt, only is averaging 14 per game. Max Rice, who is a lot, a lot of the, the write-ups are about how good of a three-point shooter he is. He's only averaging 13.9. It's just very balanced scoring for their top five and with that defense first mentality. And what I kind of assume and am gleaning again from some of the write-ups that they're not the most like athletically gifted team. Again, it just like in my, in my positive heart of hearts, it reminds me of Wisconsin, which is kind of a nice matchup for Northwestern. Yeah. They're not big, right. They don't start anybody over six, seven. Um, but I think they have like, I think like most of their guys are six. I mean, like they have like a lot of medium size, but not a lot mm-hmm. of real big, not a lot of real small, like um, Shaver, who's, I think, you know, kind of the most experienced guy they have actually actually used to watch him. He played for the University of Portland for a couple of years before he transferred out there. And he's a total he's he's kind of a gunner. Like, um will shoot a lot, sometimes can shoot them out of the game. So I think that we, we wanna we want we kinda want him to shoot a lot because he's more of a high volume, low efficiency guy, whereas like um you know, Rice and Agbo are like both just really good three-point shooters do, do um, they have any football players a la jalen pickett dagan pretty pretty uh dagan pretty um he's he's a pretty big dude and i think he's like the one that maybe we worry about out muscling us for rebounds and um you know maybe yeah, getting six, knocked into rebound put, put back, six put back, seven like two thirty two is his list yeah, he's a big he's a big dude, um, but not a he's not a great he's a, not a great three point shooter. He's pretty good inside though. 
I've I've actually often heard it said that Jalen Pickett is the blue college football field of college basketball. <laughs> kind of gross. Doesn't really have a place. <laughs> Does when you stop and think about it, you're like, what is this doing here? It it doesn't really belong. Um, it's funny though. Speaking of Penn State, I was so one of the the parallels that that I was looking at when I was looking at Boise was <clears throat> the so. Boise effectively ended their season right at the end of their regular season, losing to Utah State, who is a 10 seed. And then they almost immediately played Utah State again in the second round of or their second game of the Mountain West tourney and lost again. Not unlike our situation with 10 seed Penn State, um, losing to them right at the end of the season and losing to them in the tournament again. The difference is on their senior day. Boise State knocked off San Diego State, who is a five seed. And um, um, I'm kind of curious. So, again, like where kind of in the larger sense of, of this landscape, I mean, looking at, you know, looking at your vantage point from Pac-12 to Pacific Northwest, like, like if you just look at our region, like, where do you see, like, how do you see, Bo- I mean, you've kind of already said how you see Boise. How, what does UCLA look like? What does Gonzaga look like this year? Like, I think so many of us have been so locked in on the cats that we haven't really focused on anything else. Yeah, to be honest, I haven't seen a ton of UCLA this year. I mean, I know that they still have, they still have Hawkeyes, they still have Tiger Campbell, um, who are guys that played in the Final Four a couple of years ago. Um, but the guy that they're missing is Jalen Clark, who's out for the season. And he's like, I think he was the Pac-12 Defensive Player of the Year. I think he's their second season scorer, maybe. And he's out. He's done for the year. So um, there were there was talk about maybe UCLA getting knocked down a seed, like going into the tournament because of missing him. So they potentially could be overseeded as a two. Um, although they they played decently well against Arizona in the final. I mean, they almost they almost won that game. Um, and their other guy, the big guy, Adam Bona, is uh, he was hurt for that game. He's supposed to be back, I think, this weekend or this week. Um, but if he's not back, this would probably be the best opportunity we would have to be a team like UCLA if they're missing two of their best, two of their better guys. Um, so that's something to look out for, definitely. Um, you know, Gonzaga's Gonzaga, like, Gonzaga had a weird year in that I think, you know, they still went 28 and 5. I mean, it almost seemed like they were underwhelming, but they still, like, did everything they normally do, which is um, they just didn't win some of those games, some of those tougher games early. And um, I think they lost at, they lost a home game to Loyola Marymount, which is very, very strange. Um, but otherwise, you know, Gonzaga is kind of the same thing. They just score a ton of points, um, but they can they can also give up a lot if they're not engaged. And it's one of those things, you know. They had some pretty good. They have, the WCC has gotten a lot better over recent years, like not just St. Mary's, but like um, like Santa Clara is actually a pretty good team now. Um, Loyola wasn't awful. Like San Francisco has been decent recently. BYU was not great this year, but they're still, you know, like it's not just 
a bunch of bottom feeders like it was for a while when Gonzaga was this rolling everybody and then showing up in March and having no like battle, you know, not, not being battle tested for two months. So, well, and that puts some um, real context around the fact that they lead the nation in scoring at 88 points per game and they lead the nation in field goal percentage at 52%. So, um, yeah, formidable offense. Um, although I like, you know, this, we're, again, we're, we're way, way, way down the road here, but, um, I would submit they probably haven't seen a D quite on the, on, on the, on the caliber of Northwestern's. Um, but they've got probably more matchup opportunities than uh, many of the teams we've played in the Big Ten. The thing about Gonzaga is that they don't they don't just fire a bunch of threes. Like they make an effort to to shoot two pointers, and like they shoot them like really really well, which is why they score so many points. Is that they don't rely on threes. Well, they beat they beat Michigan State, Kentucky, Alabama, Xavier. Like they, they I mean they've they've already run a gauntlet this year. Yeah, I mean they're they're a three seed, but I don't know that they're really much different than the teams from the last couple of years. Other than you know they did lose, you know that weird conference game. You know losing at same areas in OT is no, you know that's that's fine. And then they lost to I'm looking at their schedule. They lost to Texas, Purdue, and Baylor, where there are the three losses. So. Oof. You know, those are games that they're so, yeah they got blown they got blown out by Purdue. I was actually at the game against Purdue that was in Portland um, back in November. I was at that game. Purdue blew them out. I mean, that was like not close. So, uh, and I remember back then thinking this kind of team might not be that great. Um, but then they beat Xavier and yeah, but they they beat Alabama. So they 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 definitely proved later on that they you know. This is still a really good team. It's it's a weird season for them because they're, I mean, again, like you said, I mean, they're, Gonzaga has kind of elevated to that team that it is entirely possible for them to control the college basketball narrative throughout a year. Like they have long since elevated to the ability of that. And they didn't really do that this year. I mean, despite having these marquee things and like, I mean, part of it, I mean, I look at, I just thought that like, Drew Timmy would just walk to every award this year. I thought that he would be the guy that he would be like the focal point of college basketball. And I mean, he's been there, but I mean, I'm like, you know, I feel like by the end of the by by mid season, Zach Eady was getting talked about way more than Drew Timmy. And I just never would have seen that coming. I just never would have, of, of, I just never would have expected that. Um, but I feel like we're a little guilty of putting the cart before the horse for our new listeners and when we haven't picked up. And we should explain that part of the reason that we've come to you for NCAA basketball expertise is that you run this massive pool every year um, that just a a juggernaut of a pool. One of the pools that you people, you know, you always hear about, but these truly colossally sized pools with with re- legitimate stakes and obviously, because I, I can't remember what the nature of our conversation was in 2017, but a, a question that we rarely, if ever, get to ask is, what is the Northwestern flavor of that? I mean, normally we're always like, all right, who's everyone banging this year? But um, this year I'm like, so how many people are all over Northwestern this year? How much, nor- how much purple blood runs through this pool? So this, a lot of people in in my pool, because I went to Northwestern, so obviously my my network is going to be heavy on NU people. So definitely have a, I, I, 
so so far I've gotten uh, of everything I've gotten in so far, sixty-seven percent have picked Nenu to win the first round game, um, which is probably higher than what you would see like in a in a pool where you didn't have that affiliation. So I definitely think there is some purple bias. I, I I'm looking. I, I'm looking very, at, very quickly. I'm looking at CBS's uh, current matchup analysis, and they're at sixty forty for Northwestern as far yeah. as the users' picks. So the the line has moved. It opened at Boise State plus uh, minus one, and it's moved to uh, NU by a point and a half. Interesting. I, I mean, I'm still again. Obviously, there are people who think with their head, not their heart. And then there's someone like me. I'm like, I you know. I would just be inclined to be like, you all just can take my money because Northwestern's going all the way to the to the title on this, and that's I don't know, I that's why I wouldn't win. But I, I mean, I, I I'm curious to see, like, on the list of, on on the list of teams pegged to win, is Northwestern at all represented on that list? I have gotten one person so far who has taken. <laughs> yes, a true believer. Love it. I was Love it. Say. Shout I out to got... Lori Hoover. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm terrified by this. Uh, like you shook me to my core with Boise State has played in nine tournament games and has never won one before. That is, <laughs> that's about the worst thing I've ever heard. I'm like, my God, that's like the equivalent of the like the ultimate free throw jigs. My God, <sighs> just yeah. Sound they just... were last last year. They were an eight, which was their highest seeding ever. So they've never been above an eight seed. So they they're always going to be like they've always been in like this anywhere between not you know ten to twelve range. It's usually been where they're at. So um, not surprising that they haven't won a bunch of games, but. I thought they would have won at least one of these so far. So that does, I don't know, double-edged sword, right? Like, it's like, all right, these guys have been here and haven't had any success. But also, all right, these guys have had no success. they got to win one of these eventually, right? So, um, so that, yeah, that is a little bit scary. Um, I feel we're a yeah, little not... guilty at this at this standpoint. We haven't, we've barely talked about Northwestern at all. and And obviously, you know, it's a, it's a special year where we get to, um, I guess, you know, like outside of the chances in this game, I think some of the discussion we've been having as the, as the season was winding down and we're getting toward, toward the tournaments, et cetera, was, um, was, is this the best Northwestern basketball team or season, I guess, ever. And, Based on the seed and the and the and the confidence with which we made the dance, feels like that's a resounding yes. But I'm I'm curious your perspective, Scott. Yeah, I feel like it's going to take a little bit of like space from it to look back. I think it's easy it's easy to say when you're in the middle of it, um, and it's maybe easy for that. For, since it's been six years since the other one. It doesn't seem like that long, but I mean, it's been long enough ago to where, you know, it's hard to, to remember what we felt like in some ways during that one. And that one was so much different in the sense that it was the first one ever. Um, and also this one be, was so unexpected. I mean, yeah. I don't know about you guys, but back in November, I was like, man, I hope we <laughs> win like eight games. Yep. 
I, if you recall back to last year, uh, I believe, you know, we were talking with you and what, what was it? We asked, um, if you had a short list of the next coach for Northwestern. Yeah. I think last year on this pod, we talked about like seven different candidates. (laughs) (laughs) You were like six years. Doesn't seem that long ago. Yes, it does. It seems like a long, long time ago. It does in some ways seem like a long time ago in some ways, uh, not so long ago, but, um, yeah, just, just the fact that this came out of nowhere. And like, even in, um, even when there were some signals of like, Hey, we might actually be pretty good. I think we're all conditioned not to really listen to those signals because, you know, we, we've been fans of this program long enough to know there's been quite a few years where things looked up early and it was like, you know, a huge barrage and then we lose 10 games in a row or whatever. So, John, um, John tried to his credit, John tried. And I, at every turn, I refused, I refused to listen until they beat Purdue. And then I was like, all right, well, I think it's actually happening. Yeah. And and I think the down the stretch, obviously Northwestern didn't exactly finish the season and roll into the tourney. I mean, talking about this team relative to the tourney, theoretically, um, in terms of, yes, we lost three of our last four, and yes, we lost our first game in the tournament. Although, again, that was all to, that was not chopped liver. That was all close games against tournament teams, with the exception of Maryland. And obviously, in the case of Rutgers, us beating them effectively kept them out of the tournament. They were about the first team out of the tournament. But what Scuzz is alluding to is, yeah, I, about the time, I don't know, we were entering conference play, and we were all going like, wait, what is this team? Like, this is obviously like, what's going on here? And I sat down and I was like, all right, so let's, how would, if I was trying to map out a season that would just be good at the end, and it was basically like, well, what if we went like 19 and 12 or something like that? And basically being (laughs) like, what would, what would that road look like? And even trying to map it out at stages. And like, I tried to present a soft case and everyone on Twitter was like, no, 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 no. And Scuzz was like, not having this. And, and then as it turns out, that's where I was, I was laughing. So thinking about this finished down the stretch and I'm like, by the time we quote unquote had a rough end to the season, we had already so far obliterated my most optimistic projections that I'm just like, I don't know. I don't even, we were, we were just like well beyond it. I was curious, Scott, the, so you're going to be in Sacramento. Is there any kind of like particular movement on, on behalf of like West coast, Northwestern fans to get to this game? I mean, obviously I know a lot of people are, but I, I, you know, with West coast, Northwestern mafia, is there, is there more of a movement to get there? I don't know. I haven't, I haven't really spoken to, I mean, I have a couple any people who live in this area, you know, friends in this area that I don't think are going to be able to go. Um, but I don't I mean, really know much about the, the movement down there yet. I mean, I, I'm probably going to see on Wednesday night on my flight just how many people are going down there from this area. I mean, <laughs> uh, San Fran to Sacramento is not far, and there are a lot yeah. of slums in San Francisco. Yeah, I, I assume between San Francisco and some people that are, you know, from Southern California that might. Um, you know, make the, they'll be the up to watch UCLA or right? the long or the long drive, and yeah, there'll be a lot of UCLA people there too. Um, yeah, I mean, I I don't think we're gonna have. 
I don't know that we're going to have quite the turnout. Maybe that we did Salt Lake City because it was the first time. Everybody was just so hyped up for it. I think there's a lot of people. Sacramento is not the easiest place to get to, I think, for people in the Midwest and the East Coast. I just don't think it's a really convenient spot. So um, I don't know. I don't know that we're going to have a huge turnout, but um, I think we have a decent, a decent enough amount of people from California that um, that will at least have a good, a good showing. I mean, honestly, Boise, Boise was here in Portland last year, which is about a seven-hour drive from here. We didn't have a huge crowd here. I mean, it had a really? decent crowd, but it wasn't like – I kind of thought they were going to have – I thought they were going to fill the building, you know, and they they, they didn't. So um, I don't know what their crowd's going to look like in Sacramento, to be honest, because it's not really – I mean, it's not – certainly not driving distance from there, uh, especially where, the way the weather is right now. They drive anywhere in California because there's snow everywhere, but um, – so yeah, I don't know what it's you know what it's going to be like for either team really. Um, it might not be super great. Like UCLA might just kind of dominate the crowd. Um, that would be probably what I'm expecting. If you or a loved one is seriously injured by someone else's negligence, hire Kent Sinson of the Sinson Law Group. After over a decade prosecuting murder cases in Chicago, Sinson opened his own firm focused on wrongful death and personal injury cases. He specializes in car, truck, motorcycle, boat, and other transportation accidents, as well as construction accidents, medical negligence, slip and falls, product liability, and more. Millions recovered for clients. No fee unless he wins. The Sinson Law Group. Compassion, empathy, and vigorous advocacy. Go to SinsonLawGroup.com or call 312-332-2107 for a free consultation. And go Cats! So we we've been fo- we've been focusing a lot on the uh, the bottom right hand side of the bracket. I I'm interested in you know kind of looking at at the bracket as a whole. Um, you know I you know I've I've seen a lot and I haven't spent a ton of time breaking everything down. But like a lot of the the buzz is that the West like our our corner of the our side of the bracket is just stacked. I mean you look at Kansas, um, you know UConn has had a great season. We talked about Gonzaga a little bit, UCLA, uh, big conference, uh, conference matchup possibly, uh, in round two with us, um, uh, next year or the year after, yeah, still can't wrap my head around that, but you know, how do you stack up the West compared to like the other three uh, corners of, of the, of the tournament? Interesting that you bring up, um, a couple of those teams. Uh, one thing I did is I went and I, I pulled up the Bart Torvik rankings since February since February first, so just over the last like six weeks. And Connecticut is number two in the country out of all teams. Wow. Um, and they're a four seed in the in the bracket in, in, in that West bracket. Um, UCLA is ranked as the seventh best team since. February 1st, they're the, they're the two seed. Kansas is ranked as the 11th best team. They're the one seed. Um, I believe Gonzaga is also in that. Yeah, Gonzaga is number one in that, in that spin. So one, two, seven, and 11 nationally in the last six weeks in Torvik rankings are the one, two, three, four seeds in the West bracket. So yikes. That's, that's, I think it's, warranted that people say that's the best that it's the best region because I mean that's um that's really stacked. Um when you look at 
how well those teams have played um, down the stretch of the season. Which region's the worst region? What's the worst region? I don't know. That's that's a good question. I mean, a lot of people are saying that Alabama has the easiest easiest ride to the Final Four. Um, because when I look at that, uh, I mean Arizona is a good team, but when uh, Baylor is too, but they're missing their point guard, right? Yeah, Baylor's had some issues down the stretch. Um, Virginia is, I, I don't get Virginia, I guess, ever, but like. <laughs> <laughs> that's why they're the, the one that's been beat by a 16, right? Virginia, I mean, I'm not. We're going since, since February 1st, going uh, by the thing that I've been looking at here, the Torvik. Virginia is the 63rd best team since February 1st. 63rd? Yeah. Zoiks. I. I am not about to cast aspersions at a ball control defense first basketball team. <laughs> Fair. I, I, it's unfortunate for UConn that they're so high in those rankings you referenced because they're about to, to run into the buzzsaw that is the most eligible coach in the country. Rick Patinos, Iona Gales, uh, you know, yeah, about to should, make a run. We, we should point out that there is a potential for a Gales Versus Gale's second round with St. Mary's oh, Iona. So, oh, wow. Oh, that's right. Oh, that would be amazing. That would be incredible. For, for all of those, uh, uh, curious, Gale, all uh, those mascot pickers out there, you know? Yeah. Yeah, right. That's right. Uh, yeah. That, uh, I've, in my daughter's bracket, which is entirely based on animals, neither of those teams have advanced very far. So I don't have. Uh, I'm So I'm curious one of the things that we tend to talk about the most year to year because of the pool is how, you know, like basically like who are the hot teams, who's everybody on year to year. And this year it seemed like, I mean, there was that crazy stat of like number one teams had lost some crazy amount of games. Seems like, I guess Alabama has kind of emerged late. Is there a consensus within your pool right now, or is it just all over the place? Well, so far, Houston is the most popular pick to win, which surprises me. I did not oh. think that was going to happen. Um, but is that because the I Final had, Four is in Houston? You think maybe, or maybe they just um, yeah, I'm surprised. Although I do look and see what I mean. If you're looking at that Midwest bracket, Texas obviously was almost in play for a one seed at the end. The way they played late. Um, you mean, you mean the Texas Froghorns? Yeah. Like Clark uh, Kellogg called them on the... the <laughs> yeah, horns up. Um, but I think Xavier, Indiana, Miami, maybe not too inspiring um, coming out of that bracket. So maybe people just haven't defaulted to Houston because... Um, yeah, in fact, them and Alabama, yeah, by far the most popular um, picks to make it to the final game. So about 40%, about 23% have Houston so far winning the championship and 18% have Alabama. So those are definitely the two most popular. One team that does not have a lot of support so far is Purdue. I was just about to ask. I have gotten, I have gotten one one bracket so far. It's 
pick Purdue to win the championship. I, I think maybe that's reflective of how bad Purdue has looked or how vulnerable Purdue has looked over the last month and a half. Well, I was just going to say, if you take Edie off that team, are they the 12 seed in the Big Ten? <laughs> Like, are they better than Ohio State if they don't have Edie? Like, I don't know. Call fouls on Edie uh, and split the difference with you. Well, get some fouls on Edie and then press them because they have shown they they cannot handle a press. Yeah. I think I I would imagine, too, that uh, a, a large portion of your pool base has a very specific Purdue related memory and it wasn't a situation where they won. So I'm wondering if that's maybe factoring in a little bit um part of me does wonder too if how many you know if if there are any of your people who have picked houston who are conscientious objectors to picking alabama and that's like the other weird piece of this too where i'm like i it's just like one more crazy piece of like a a crazy bracket all over but um the is there anyone else like is there any other team farther down like that's you know that's gotten any kind of traction outside of the the one seeds yeah i mean i've gotten i mean the three one seeds houston alabama kansas are the three most popular picks um then it's ucla texas marquette so it's two 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 so i mean those, those are the only teams that have gotten so far more than one bracket like choosing um choosing them so uh, I haven't really seen anything too far off the board. I've, I've gotten a, a Kansas State, a Gonzaga, a Duke, an Arizona, a Texas A&M. I'm a Texas A&M winning it, so uh, wow. one person. Um, yeah, it's, it's interesting when I have because like my my pool is a is a pretty wide mix of people who uh, some people are big fans who pay attention all year and really you know, really think about this. And a lot of people are casual fans who maybe sort of know the main storylines but don't really follow closely. And then there's some people in my pool that don't even watch a basketball game all year. So it's kind of interesting to see how things shake out when you have these kind of these three different groups of people and how they're making picks. I do think historically in what I do, like there are, biases just based on what the names of the teams are right i mean even if they don't know much about this season's team there's this idea of well duke's going to disappoint you right because that's what they do and then all of a sudden they win when you don't expect them to um or you know kansas is always good so i mean it's it, in a way it's like you almost can't go wrong to pick kansas because they're always usually going to be either at the end um but then you have a team like, and this is why I was a little surprised that Houston is doing as well as they are so far in my pool, is because they're maybe not the name that um, you know that Kansas is, or even UCLA or Arizona. Um, you know, I know a lot of West Coast people. Um, but yeah, there are certainly, and I, I, I do think that maybe because I do have a lot of Big Ten people, uh, the narrative of the Big Ten just can't get it together in this tournament uh-huh. is probably a, a narrative that's affecting people when they're making picks might be affecting why they're not taking Purdue um, or taking other big 10 teams to go deep because uh, well, one, we don't really have, I mean, again, does anybody really 
Are any of you guys really excited about Indiana as a four seed? I mean, no, we, we've we've seen we've seen I mean, that they're capable of of, of being uh, on the on the bad side, and and I can't really think of them being a, a, a lead eight contender. Getting down by double digits and coming back is not a formula to win in the tournament. Yeah, that seems to be their mo. Yeah, I don't know. I I I wouldn't pick against Duke with spark plug Ryan Young <laughs> on the bench to to activate them uh, going going forward. Uh, it's which is crazy too. I mean, I'm laughing. I mean, it it's crazy that. You have UNC in the tournament, but it's UNC Asheville, uh, which is <laughs> crazy. Um, that well, I mean, that, they were the North Carolina was preseason number one. It's the first time a preseason number one has not made the tournament. Yeah, it's it's sad and it's obviously super sad for. I mean, not to laugh. I mean, for Pete Nance, the uh, obviously the what we. I mean. I think one of the few hopes that all of us were pinning at the beginning of the season is hopefully it will at least see Pete Nansen in the tournament. And like, that's about the only thing that did not come true, which is, that is, that is a bummer. Um, and, and yeah, just in a larger sense, crazy that UNC is not in it on the note of players though, Scott, like I'm, I'm curious, just, I mean, separate from knowledge of the the whole college basketball landscape and everything else, like, what have you loved about this Northwestern team? Like in particular, like what has, what has been your favorite aspect or aspects of, of this team? I mean, I think just the fact that, you know, we still took some, you know, a few tough losses on the chin, like that first Rutgers game, you know, that brutal Auburn game where we just couldn't make a shot and um, that Illinois meltdown, you know, on the road. But the fact that they just kind of didn't let it get to them at all um, and just came back and kind of went about their business, I think was really, you know, cool to see. It was, it was great to see that, you know, even going into the season where we all thought Collins was the dead man walking here that it was clear from the start that the team seemed to like him and wanted to play hard for him. And, you know, that was, that was great to see all year that, that, that they, they really rallied around him and, and each other. And they didn't seem to be bothered by the, the noise of, of Nance and Young leaving and, you know, what may have gone into to those decisions. So, um, yeah, I guess just the ability to be resilient and just, you know, start to gain some confidence that they really started to believe that they could win games and that it wasn't just going to be the same old, same old meltdown every time um, late. And, you know, we, we almost melted down in that game against, in the home game against Indiana, but found a way to win, um, found a way to come back late against Purdue and a way to hold off Wisconsin at home that they were on the road. I mean, those are things that we wouldn't have done before. So um, that was, you know, that was great to see. And I mean, Boo Booey, even earlier this year, there was part of me that was like, is Boo kind of holding us back a little bit? And then he just found another year that I never thought he would find and has been awesome. The thing, uh, we, the, thing we've, the thing we've talked about with Boo is just his calm. 
just like like the the so many of those games you described where Northwestern found a way to win or come back in the end in you know last year or the year before moments where Northwestern couldn't even get a shot off and that not that that was Boo's fault but he has projected a a, a calmness and a leadership on the floor this year that I think buoys that <laughs> buoy. I didn't even mean to do that. Um, <laughs> buoys that, that confidence and that team identity that you referred to that, that, you know, was, was there from the jump this year. And we've, we've talked a lot about um, the defense and uh, how that, you know, has become a foundation for them to build on. But like his, his calm in the moment is, is, is why they beat Indiana is why they are able to come back against Purdue is, is, you know, um, in large part, why they went to OT twice against Penn State. Like he's he's been um, quite spectacular, and you know, I don't want to say surprisingly so, but I think the the transformation of Boo Booey has been. I mean, um, it kind of has been really surprisingly incredible. so, though. Because, yeah, you know, going into the season, I don't think any of us, you know, had pegged you know Boo Booey to be first team All Big Ten. No, 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 we hadn't. Fair. No, and I mean, they're, and they've kind of soft sold it. I mean, as we've said, they they continually try to massage it after every Northwestern win on Big Ten Network of just like, he doesn't take nearly as many awful shots. And, And it's like amazing. It just, his shot selection has gotten so much better the degree to which he pushes, the degree to which he forces. And right, like Gus says, the calm. And just like waiting, finding the best option, dictating, leading. And it's funny. I mean, again, I'm, you know, I'm just thinking we, we think rightfully so about the way that this team works as an, as an organism, the way that they play defense so well together, but there certainly is something for having a first team, all big 10 player um, and bringing that up against the mountain West team. I mean, I mean, I'm looking well, and, and, it's and like the big Max- 10 defensive player of the year too. Well, right. Big 10 defensive player of the year, too. And just being able to bring that caliber of guys um, up against the Mountain West team. And again, you know, Boise State's got all conference players, too. I mean, they've got a first team all conference guy, um, second team all conference guy. But I mean, you you do kind of hope, right, that they're that Boo is going to. I mean, I suppose it's an interesting thing because you hope that he plays the kind of game that he's used to playing and just gets to the rim and gets get buckets and doesn't try to force, but um, it'll be, I'm, I'm curious. So you've, have you gotten a chance to watch Boise State play this season, Scott? Yeah, I've seen a couple of their games. I saw, um, I saw some of their game against San Diego State when they won. Um, and then I watched another one of their games that was on mid-season. I'm trying to remember. It was against Nevada where they won. They were both home games. Um, yeah, How would you they, dis- actually, they scored a lot of points this year, like a lot more than they normally – like they they were sort of well-known last year for winning all these like rock fights. and But they did score this year better than – than they did in the past. Um, so I will give them that in, in the sense that, you know, they, they, it wasn't uh, quite as 
quite as bad offensively. Like, what is the, like, in terms of the defensive character of the team, like, what, like, obviously, like, this is a team that has a good defensive reputation the same that, the same way that we do. But when you watch them play, like, do you find that it's the same, like, kind of character of the team? Or do you find that they're doing it a different way? Uh, They are not, I don't, you know, I don't, they don't believe, they don't force turnovers like we do. So, I mean, the thing that we've always been good at this year is that we force a ton of turnovers. Like we were better at that than any team in the Big Ten. Um, but when you look at our defense, when we didn't force turnovers, uh, teams actually shot pretty well against us and got a lot of offensive rebounds against us. So we're one of those teams where, we, yeah, when, when we're forcing turnovers and we're flying around, chasing, getting steals, and, um, you know, we're doubling hard and we're doing all this stuff, you know, Boise to me seems more of a traditional, just try to get you to shoot bad type of team. Just play solid defense, stay in front of you, but they're not going to be probably flying around as much as, as we do. One one thing I saw about Boise is like their top five. You know, they get contributions from all their top five, but they're kind of sh- they're pretty shallow. Uh, they don't have much of a, a bench. Um, I guess the the problem is, you know, Northwestern doesn't really have the kind of offense that it can, you know, get a lot of f- fouls drawn against. Like, I don't know how we're going to get them into foul trouble, you know, because that, that was kind of the first thing I could think of. You know, how do you how do you beat a team without much of a bench? You get either run them off the gym, which we're not going to do, or get them into foul trouble. And I, I don't think you know that's something that we would necessarily be you know i i can't think of a, a situation where we've been good at getting other teams in foul trouble because we don't really hammer it down low that's i i've actually been thinking that that would be a a, a really effective strategy to start this game and you've and you've seen northwestern do this through much of the big 10 is that early on with the exception of that one Rutgers game where it was like lob lob city to uh to nicholson but early on like they're they're running sets down low for Nicholson to establish him, and I I assume that then they run other action off of that later as as teams adjust to be like okay well we we're not going to let that guy score you know a ton and Nicholson gets maybe six points or so and then that's it but I don't know that that this team has the physicality to really stop that and then you know as a secondary option early in the game i love i love brooks and i just i think the two of them bring a physicality that that boise state won't be particularly used to not that not that you know not that we're going to bully them off the court or anything but i think you can attack them down low in a way that you you couldn't do to much of the big 10 and that's that just presents some interesting strategy because i like to double down on that second point i think brooks barnheiser is 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 the critical factor for northwestern because you know, I said this a couple of games ago, right? Like Boo's going to be there on offense. Even, even we've seen him have bad games or bad halves. He finds it and he contributes down the stretch in crunch time. He's been spectacular. I, that's going to happen. You know, is he going to score 35 points like he did in that one, in that one game that didn't, that the Northwestern lost? I don't think, think so, but he's going to be there. 
And Chase is going to be there defensively, and Chase is probably going to take some ill-advised shots offensively, and they're probably not going to fall. And so where I think Northwestern takes the advantage is Brooks and Nicholson um, on the offensive side. Yeah, I think it's a, I think this is kind of a weird game for Nicholson, right? Because Boise doesn't have a um, traditional center. Yeah, true. They, they they do have a guy off the bench, like a stringy guy off the bench, who's like six ten or six eleven or something like that. But he doesn't he doesn't really do much for them. Um, do so, you think they do you think they have the athleticism to really um, press Nicholson the way that like like Penn State kind of almost forced Northwestern to take him out of the game? Um, in that that senior night at home, but then in the Big Ten tournament, like he played, he played most of that game and did did quite well. I thought. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I I, I was kind of with you in the sense that I, I feel like maybe our best lineup in this game is going to be Uyades, Barry, Baron, Barnheiser. Um, without either Verhoeven or Nicholson in the game. Yeah. Um, that might be where we're at at some point in this game, um, depending on, you know, I guess we're probably going to know within three, four minutes. Is this a game where Nicholson belong, does he belong in this game in terms of who's he guarding and uh, who's guarding him and what are they, what are they doing to, um, you know, are we able to establish him in a way where we can get lobs to him and, you know, I really wish he could make a hook shot or a layup instead of his <laughs> uh, Because, like, think about how dominant he would be if he could just hit just something from, like, doesn't even have to be, like, doesn't have to shoot a 20-footer. Just make a 5-footer, you know, like. Hey man, um, don't 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 underestimate his willingness to go up and cram it because there were all those years we were begging Northwestern centers like yeah. like Alex Ola to like just dunk it, my friend, and um, at least like he's got that part down to start. <laughs> I was looking at some, like, I was actually looking back through, like, a bunch of, like, past years. Bart Torvik actually counts, has has dunks, like, as a separated, separated category. And, like, it's like Nicholson had more dunks in the last, like, this year than, like, anybody else. Like, the entire team's had. Like, for Carmody, we'd, we'd have, like, five dunks in a season <laughs> as a team when Carmody was the coach. And, like, Nicholson has, like, 50-something dunks this year. Like, you know, but, uh that's incredible. Funny when, I remember back in the old days, it'd be like, we would dunk. We'd be like, we can dunk? Like, I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is legal. Well, it's it's funny, too, because, I mean, it not only does he, it's there have been times where it's been an essential part of the offense. It's yeah, been times that, where, like, alley-oops to Nicholson was the only the only game in town. Yeah, I mean, I'm and I, I think they're, one of the, and one of the other things that I was kind of, thinking about too is the i mean and you mentioned it earlier scott that the big 10 kind of has this reputation relative to the dance of sometimes being a mess but on the flip side i mean i look at this and i mean i can't ever remember a year when the big 10 was deeper i mean obviously all northwestern fans are familiar with the the craziness of staring at either a two seed or a nine seed on the last day of the regular season but i mean it speaks to the depth of the conference i mean the big 10 got eight teams in Rutgers easily could have been ninth. Um, and I mean, and that in a way, the other team who missed out, Michigan was almost a testament to the strength of the league because like they were trying to squirrel their way in 
on, you know, with like a 17 and 15 or 18 and 14 record. And I'm wondering, do you think at all, especially in the opening round, especially against a Mountain West team, if Northwestern having to slog through such a, you know, a conference with so much depth and so much parity, if that's going to make a difference against a Mountain West basketball team? Yeah, I definitely think that the fact that we've slogged through a lot of games is probably going to help in this situation. Like, looking at what's interesting is I, so I'd heard some, some thoughts that by losing to Penn State, that we might have fallen from the slot that Michigan State is actually in as a seven seed. Like, because we're, from what I've read, we were, we were actually the, the, we were the last seven seed. Right. Yeah, that's, what I, that's what I saw too. So that probably losing that first game of the Big Ten tournament probably dropped us out of going to Columbus and into going to Sacramento. And if we had gone to Columbus, that 10 seed is USC. That would have been a, such a different game. Yeah. And right. Boise State is going to be in terms of just the style of the game. And I think we're probably better made for this game. Um, in terms of, yeah, if it's 42 to 40 with four minutes left, we don't care. Like, that's <laughs> our team's been in that situation many times. <laughs> um, and, or, this, or if, like, we don't make a shot for seven minutes and they don't either, like, again, like, we know what that means. We know what that feels like. So, um, but, so yeah, I do think this is probably the kind of game that, that is, um, more comfortable, I guess. I was I was yeah, chuckling yeah, to myself. Yeah, I was chuckling to myself earlier because you referenced Boise State last year being in a lot of rock fights and then like kind of scoring more this year. And I was thinking to myself, oh, I, I wonder if they remember what it's like to be in a rock fight because I, I know we do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking at Boise and I see like some of their games. You know, um, eighty-seven. 82, 73, 80, 75, 80, 81, 77, 85, 84, 82. These are all Mountain West games. Yeah. So um, they've, they've definitely put some points up, but they've also given up 76, 86, uh, 77, 78. Um, so uh, that said, when you look at Ken Palm's defensive um adjusted defensive efficiency rating, we are 13th in the country. Boise State is 14th. So that's your, uh, that's about as close as they can get there. Yeah. And I mean, it's, and again, I mean, I keep wondering, and it's not, I mean, again, you look at Boise State's resume. I mean, it's pretty solid. Like there's not really bad losses on here. I mean, and again, they're a 10 seed, but they're, I mean, they kind of have the flavor of a team that finished a very respectable third in a non, you know, non high major conference. And there's not a lot of fat on on their resume. But I do wonder, I'm like, I, I think Northwestern fans, just because we saw it so often that I think I almost wonder if we're kind of. If there's kind of that thing where you lose it, it's like, oh, yeah, we've played like all we've watched all these slogs, but those games were against like Indiana, Illinois, Penn State, Purdue. Like 
teams that nationally are very good teams this year. And I'm just wondering if it's going to make a difference. If when we get into the tournament against teams that were not part of that, just maelstrom that 20 game um, conference slog that we, we talked about it on the pod last week, you know, I guess my hope is that Northwestern can, can leverage that, right. That Northwestern has that. Yes. These are two equally matched on paper defensive basketball teams that, but that Northwestern is going to be able to leverage the toughness that, uh, that they had to deal with. Um, again, I'm like, if you, I mean, just having to deal with Jalen Pickett twice in a couple, <laughs> to, to me, I'm like, you can, you can deal with that guy's uh, off arm for an entire, uh, for two entire games. You can deal with anything. I, it will be interesting to watch the conference in the same way, because I think, in a lot of those years where the Big Ten, you know, falls flat in the in the tournament, there's, you know, a couple of one seeds maybe or a one and a two and a three. Like this year you've got you've got Purdue on the one line, you've got Indiana on the four, and then Northwestern's the next highest seed is a seven, correct? And along with State. Michigan State. Yeah. So it's a lot of like yeah. seven and eights, and then and then Penn State is a ten. I mean, I like, you know, I think Maryland's record away from home is is you know well documented at, the, at this point. Like Northwestern um, didn't finish the, the the season in a great in a great mode. Penn State like has you know the weird fo- like football player point guard that um, that drives their offense. Uh, so like I, it, it's very um, it's very possible for the Big Ten to fall on its face. But this is a year where I where that notion of like we all just beat the crap out of each other all year could actually pay some dividends in the way that it's played out on the seed line in terms of who they're, who they're up against. And maybe, and maybe also the expectations that are going, that are along with that. Cause I think in, in years where they fall flat, it's like a bunch of high seeds that, that flame out early. Yeah. The expectations probably certainly aren't as high this year. Um, but you know, the, the narrative is out there. So it's, you're going to have to win some games to get the narrative going back the other direction. Um, well, I, I yeah, couldn't care I less about, about I couldn't care less about the big 10 narrative because it's just, it's interesting to talk about, but I got like, it's, it's all about that one game. Right. Yeah. I was going to say for our game, it might just come down to, and I, somewhere in my drawer here, I've got that purple make shot t-shirt that. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and I think you know sometimes it's just that. Like, can we just make shot? Like, because there have been some games this year where we got quality shots, especially at the rim. You know, uncontested fifteen footers, wide open threes, and just not made them. And I mean, the the Penn State that's game why in the tournament this is... Team is never going to be. You know, it's, it's always going to be hard for this team to kind of put a team away because we're going to have those stretches of three, four minutes where nothing falls. And so, but if we can just make shots, make shots early, get into the game, get into the flow, maybe get a lead, um, that's going to be everything because, um, you know, we, we can't expect to go out shoot 30% or whatever we did against Penn State. And, and win games. It's not. It's not going to happen. So, 
Let's look at it on the flip side, right? We have, we talked about the, is this the greatest Northwestern, where does this rank, right? Greatest Northwestern team. Well, the recipe for taking that crown is very simple. It's win two games. And (laughs) if North, I mean, a week from now, that argument could be put to bed, you know, definitively because i mean a team that a North, northwestern team that beats boise beats ucla and makes the second round is the greatest northwestern basketball team ever and yeah all they have to do is find it right i mean again like you said we've said many times i mean from the purdue game on i remember sammy and i watching with jay Sharman and just jay was on that super early in that game being like for the love of god if this team could just hit shots we would be unstoppable and i'm like that's there's part of me that's like look we just just catch a couple hot hands like chase has been storing a heat check up for the entire season (laughs) (laughs) if we we could get 25 out of him for one game i feel like we could take anybody but i don't know what do you think scott do you see a path to the sweet 16 uh for this northwestern team i mean sure i mean you know like i said ucla going to be missing at least one of their top guys, if not possibly two. Um, their best defensive guy is definitely out. Um, you know, there's a lot of nervousness, I think, there about how they're going to fare. So, yeah, I, I think it would have – I mean, they're still probably a better team than us, but not as much as they would have been if they had if they had everybody available. So, yeah, I mean, let's just let's just win a rock fight, and then, uh, but against UCLA, we're gonna have to we're gonna have to make the shots at that point. Like, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to find a way to make them because they're certainly gonna make uh, their share. So I, I think that's you know that's the challenge. Um, and for me, it's like it's not even it's not even the threes. I mean, you can get away with not being a great three point shooting team. Um, a lot of a lot of teams that are good in college basketball are not great three point three point shooting teams, but you got to make the twos. You got to make layups. You got to make the ten footers that are uncontested. I mean, you got to make those. And so, like that's the ones that this team has struggled with. And give me a give me a sloggy give me a sloggy rock fight that falls our way in round one, and then a repeat of that Iowa game in round two. And, you know, yeah, if, you if a UCLA player happens to put their hand up through the bottom of the bottom of the don't rim, no, no, don't, don't, no, maybe, maybe no. Collins doesn't go ballistic. No, I, I mean, again, that, that was all done for a reason, Sam, because we're going Indigo Montoya on this bracket and <laughs> we, Gonzaga is our six fingered man and we are coming. That's all I'm going to say about that. I love it. Um, Scott, again, thanks so much for jumping on with us uh, year after year. I mean, this is always a, a pleasure uh, to have you on, pleasure to talk about the tournament. And, you know, it's even better that when we can talk Northwestern in the same uh, in the same breath. So, uh, again, thanks so much for taking the time. Really appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, go Cats. Yeah, super awesome. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, like really fun to talk about in you and not be like depressed the entire time. So, um, <laughs> yeah, to talk in you and not talk like like coaching candidates. 
Yeah. And, and I mean, you guys, I think especially, you really needed this basketball season because oh my God. you had to, you had to watch oh. that football. I mean, you guys oh. had to talk about that football season every week. And I check, I was able to check out kind of midway through that. And, but you guys have to be there every week, which, you know, you guys do a great job, like showing up and, and uh, doing it every week. So I'm, I'm happy for you guys that you got to see something fun the last, a uh, few months after having to go through that. I'll appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. And hey, have fun in Sacramento. And uh, I I would not be surprised if we end up seeing the great paradox of Northwestern sports. A lot of times there may be low turnout at home, but I find that when there's a special, a special whether it be a bowl game or a tourney game or whatever, I bet you there's going to be a purple army showing up. So uh have uh, have a lot of fun and hopefully you get to watch too thanks guys appreciate it well uh once again scott sepich uh always always great to have him on and you know it's just so exciting you know it's thursday night um you know 6 30 on you know in central time uh you know Sure, it's on True TV. You'll have to you know, take a half a second to find that on your dial, but you know, I wouldn't worry too 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 much about that. But uh, you know, it it's gonna be awesome. It's gonna be so much fun. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And and I'm so excited. I mean, I know we know. I know that uh, Jay. You know, our buddy Jay from Lake the Post. He's gonna be out there. I know he's been part of kind of organizing an effort. We know. Multiple people who are going out there, multiple people organizing things. As as Scott said, he's going to be out there. And again, we've, we've all got young kids. We all wish that we could be going. It's not unlike the Ireland trip redux all over again. But we know that a ton of you are going. And man, just have a blast. It's, it's such a special thing. I know the first tourney trip in 2017 was such a special thing. And just really hope that you all get a chance to kind of come together and gather um, and just enjoy this as Northwestern fans and then just like root like crap for this team. And send us pictures, you know, tweet at us uh, at, at Westlaw Pirates. Um, we'd love to see, you know, your stories of, you know, the of tailgates or of the game or, you know, kind of the other other things going on uh, because, you know, you know, Northwestern royalty is going to be out there. Like, you know, people make it a point, you know, especially, you know, it's only the second time ever, you know, it's not like, you know, you go year in and year out and kind of becomes old hat. This is, it's still really new and really exciting. And I would imagine, you know, you're going to see a lot of, a lot of purple out there and not just the Sacramento Kings fans uh, who, you know, will be wearing purple. Um, I would imagine, imagine there's going to be a lot of Northwestern fans in Sacramento uh, this week and very, very exciting. Anything else to uh to hit on before we go? Uh, I know Izzy Skane had a a massive game uh, for lacrosse um, coming off a, a couple games off. Yeah, lacrosse is an absolute juggernaut right now. She is the best player in the country right now. It's not really close either, as Scuzz pointed out, and we we tweeted it out. Izzy's kind of the best player in the country statistically even if you factor in the two games when she didn't play and let's be honest she would have had like 20 goals in the across those two games had she played so i mean she's 
We've got the best player in the country. Do we have the best team? We're in the mix for sure. Um, and we're going to find out. Well, and the team they beat this weekend was number four ranked. Right. Stony Brook. Um, so this was a top five matchup between number three and you, number four, Stony Brook and Northwestern. I mean, they won 13 to eight, um, but felt like they dominated pretty good. Um, huge, huge, huge series of games coming up. They have Michigan on Thursday, they have North Carolina, um, I think on the weekend, right on Sunday. And um, I mean, I'm doing all this off the top of my head, but I think Stanford's ranked. John Hopkins is ranked. Maryland's ranked. Um, a couple other, couple of non-ranked foes, maybe Penn State and Ohio State in there. Um, I could have Hopkins and Penn State mixed up. Regardless, like it's just, it's a it's a murderer's row of of uh, what five five or six uh, more conference games. Um, but this team's up for it, and they look awesome, and. Um, they're going to be primed for for uh, for a run in their own tourney come uh, later this spring. Uh, yeah, so you know, I, I th- think that's about all we have for this week. Obviously, next week we'll be back, hopefully, to talk about uh, a Sweet Sixteen berth. Um, let's you know, go, let's but, go. But you know, w- one step at a time. Let's let's take care of Boise, and then we can you know work worry about Saturday on Saturday. So. Uh, Yeah, with that, we'll go ahead and leave it there for tonight. Head to our website, westlawpirates.com, where you can leave comments and questions. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, at westlawpirates, and email the show, westlawpirates at gmail.com. Tune in next time as we give our visceral and statistical views on Northwestern athletics. Look for us in the west side of Ryan Field playing the red pirate flag, because we give no quarter, especially the fourth. For John LaCombe and Eric Scasbo, I'm Sam Walter. Thanks so much for listening. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 